What will the Utah Jazz do with Jordan Clarkson? Can they move up in the NBA draft? And would you trade for Ja Morant? The headlining questions from another great edition of Ask LOJ. It's next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked On Jazz. Today is an Ask LOJ edition, so we'll open up the show taking your questions from the Twitterverse and what you're looking at. The main questions that come in to start are about Jordan Clarkson. What will the Jazz do there? A creative one, as I mentioned, about Ja Morant and whether you'd be willing to make a deal for him. Then some more ideas for free agents before we delve into the draft options. And before we're done, we'll look at what Denver did to dismantle Miami yesterday. Truly incredible performance by the Nuggets. So we'll look at all those things. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. To the everydayers out there, thank you so much for tuning in each and every day, and thank you for making Locked on Jazz your first listen. We are free and available on all podcasting apps as well as on YouTube. Good conversation yesterday. On YouTube, thanks to everybody who chimed in on the Kobe Bufkin or Kaysen Wallace conversation uh, from yesterday. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. A quick note from yesterday's kind of conversation, uh, as I mentioned on uh, the the. We had a conversation of Kobe Bufkin and uh, Kaysen Wallace on yesterday's show. I got to tell you, I love uh, one of the comments. With Ainge dealing and Hardy developing, I have zero concerns about the draft. And that's, I think, the most exciting aspect of where we are as a franchise is just everyone's confidence level and the people that are calling the shots right now. Um, it was pointed out by a bunch of people. Wallace went to at six, two and a half in the combine with a 6'8 wingspan, and Bufkin was 6'4 and a quarter with a 6'7 and a half wingspan. It's interesting, like, which do you think is bigger? Like, it's a kind of, they both have similar wingspans. They both originally were listed at 6'4. Um, so, interesting. Another person said, I'll be really disappointed if we take one of those two at nine. So, that was interesting to see, kind of hear that perspective for the first time. I don't know who um, they think is better. Um, and, you know, Anthony Black's name obviously gets bounced around um, a little bit there as well. So anyway, that was just uh, some of the conversation yesterday on the YouTube from the Everydayers uh, that all took place. It's always it's always good to hear everyone's comments. And we did in the community section of YouTube had a little vote going uh, yesterday. And um, Kaysen Wallace outvoted Kobe Bufkin 78% to 23% uh, as the choice of everyone. I'm not sure. I really am not on that. Um, I'll tell you what, I had fun. And one, it's, it's actually one of our um, Ask LOJ questions today, which was going to be our last Ask LOJ question today, but is now going to be one of our first Ask LOJ questions today because I just pivoted. Uh, and it comes in, let's just go to it right now. Um, what does Mr. Boone do during the offseason? Uh, he plays a lot of golf. Um, and is 
and hangs out. But it was fun because yesterday I sent him, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Hoops Intellect, which does a really nice job uh, with these player breakdowns. And I sent him a breakdown of of Kobe Bufkin and of, Co- of Cason Wallace. He said, I'll text you after golf four hours later. Um, he said, I don't know who's taller. Defense looks really good on Cason. Very active. Can he shoot? Kobe drives left, finishes well in the footage. It didn't show him in, until he could shoot to late from those clips. Maybe I prefer Kobe. I said, same height. Cason's 20 pounds heavier. Uh, and then we went back and forth. Um, he's like, players can't shoot. Miami's strength is the number of shooters. We have to have shooters. And I think Ron's really right on this, by the way. I think that's actually something that is getting lost a little bit in this draft conversation right now is, you know, if we're learning anything, Denver's the number one shooting team the last two years in the NBA. Miami's got all these shooters. And I, I, I mean, I guess I'm excited about Amon Thompson and Asur Thompson and their great athleticism and all that. And I've listened to like, you got to be able to shoot. You really got to be able to shoot here. And if, if you can't sh- shoot, you can't play in the playoffs. And if you can't shoot, you don't win. There, there are not. You look at last night's box score. We're, we're not having many non-shooters on the floor right now. Um, you know, and 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 even with all the shooters on the floor, the three-point shooting last night I think was twenty-two of sixty-six or something. Like not good. I think we were like dead at twenty, probably less than that actually, twenty-one of sixty-six. You know, but Michael Porter Jr. is good shooter. Aaron Gordon is probably the least good shooter, but Jokic, Caldwell Pope, Murray can shoot. Bruce Brown can shoot. Like those are the guys playing. Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler, Bam out of bio, Max Struess went 0 for 9 last night. Can shoot. Gabe Vincent can shoot. Kyle Lowry can shoot. Duncan Robin can shoot. Highsmith went 2 for 4. Like, you just don't have guys that can't shoot playing at this point. So I think that's, you know, when you're looking at these, really, when we're looking at all these draft players, I do have to say, like, I think Ron's exactly right. Like, this is what's so great about Ron, is if you're going to ask one question about any of these players, can they shoot? is probably the first question that has to be asked each and every time um, on how you on what you think and how you feel about what they're doing. All right, let's go to this. is a fun one to just start off with. It's not kind of on any of our themes. So it was just fun. 26 years ago this week, John Stockton hit the game winner in Houston to win the West is at the best moment in jazz history. It's funny as I... Um, my dad was actually there. It's my dad's birthday is May 29th, and I used to give him, when we were great, I used to give him a present every year of whatever game. So he saw the Bulls. He saw that game. Um, went to the Sonics, saw game seven when we lost. Uh, so I think that is probably the greatest moment, unless there was something in the NBA Finals, the Stockton to Malone pass would be, I guess, the only other one that maybe you would make being better. Um, it's funny, though, 26 years ago, I wow. I mean, I was in the building sitting there on the – I was. I heard a Bowler post like I was on the baseline. I was actually left of. Surprised I wasn't with Bowler. I was left of Stockton right there. Like if uh, where the inbound pass came from in the in the walkway, getting down to get ready for the post interviews uh, when that shot went down. I mean, just in one of the most amazing nights I've ever had coming back on the plane uh, with all the fans there and everything. So yeah, I think it probably is. All right, let's get to some more questions on more pressing issues. Uh, what are your thoughts on Clarkson? We all know he's going to opt out of his contract. Is he the Jazz' number one free agent target? Will uh, will him wanting a certain number of years on the contract become possible that causes him to join another team? And what's another question? My follow up question is: How likely is it the Jazz execute a sign and trade, ex- uh, extending the options for Clarkson, allowing the Jazz to get something for him? So. 
I mean, there's a few interesting things on Jordan. Let's just kind of back up. I think the Jazz had a tell last year a little bit. And so one is that the Jazz did not move Jordan Clarkson at the trade deadline. And yet, then Jordan hardly played after the trade deadline. So if you knew that Jordan was not going to play after the trade deadline, um, I think the trade deadline was like February about 8th or something like that. Jordan played like five games. He did have the in, the hand injury, but then he just didn't. Then after that, he just didn't play. So Jordan played, I think, five or six games after the trade deadline last year. Um, maybe even fewer, uh, but right around there. So to me, that's the first tell from the Jazz, which is if he was only going to play five or six games, well, why didn't you just move him? Well, because clearly you want him back. Like you want him to be a part of the organization. He's important to to what we're doing. We believe in him. He gives he has a little pizzazz to him. Um, and he, he gives us, you know, a score. You gotta be able to put the ball in the basket. He really can do that. Um, he also had just a, a fabulous year for us last year. So I do think in a limited free agent class that we talked about earlier this week for the everydayers, you heard that conversation, the is yeah, Jordan's probably our top free agent. The other one that's interesting here, and I think this is going to be a um a rub for Jordan is the teams in 23-24 according to Sport Track with salary cap space are Houston, where I don't think he wants to go play. Indiana has some cap space. Um, Detroit could have some cap space. Orlando could work this thing to have cap space. Like there just aren't a lot of teams that are going to be having all sorts of cap space that are the types of teams that Jordan wants to go play for. So then to the question of whether we're executing a sign and trade, that actually seems maybe most likely is that if Jordan's not returning, you are trying to execute some sort of sign and trade to get something for Jordan. If nothing um, else, you're doing it with cap space since you're getting a trade exception. But I don't think when I look at the teams that have cap space, that any of them are going to be particularly interesting for Jordan. Now, there's an interesting question, though, for the Jazz with Jordan, and that is against Ochai Abaji. How many minutes do you want Ochai Abaji to play next year? And how does Jordan impact that? So if you're somebody who thinks Ochai is a future starting two, do you really and you want him to play 33 minutes a night, what's Jordan doing? Are you playing really small and you're playing Ochai as the three? Is Ochai, is Jordan coming back off the bench? I'm not entirely sure that after starting for an entire year and doing as good a job as he did last year, that Ochai wants to be, uh, that Jordan would want to come off the bench for a developmental project. Right, if Ochai was better than him, maybe. When Don, when Jordan was coming off the bench, he's coming off the bench behind Donovan. Um, So I think there's a bunch of, like kind of some really complicated issues here, actually with Jordan. Um. It's clear the Jazz want him. He brings a tremendous amount. He had a great year. He bought and he did all the right things. So the complicated issues with Jordan are, one, what do you want out of Ochai next year and how does Jordan impact that? Two, if you want, depending on what you want out of Ochai, how does Jordan have a role in this team that he likes? And then three, quite honestly, is if Jordan, what does Jordan want? Like he's at a stage in his career where if he's playing for a team that's going to win 35 games, he probably wants to play 35 minutes. If he's playing for a team that's going to win 55 or 60 games, maybe he's willing to play 27 minutes. 
Or And the last one I would always remind you is these guys like to play. They like to play. They like to have the ball in their hands. They like to shoot. They like to have large roles. It's not as, to them, as horrific to play for 35 wins for 35 minutes. In fact, that's probably preferable by most players than it is to do it um, the other way, which is playing 25 minutes on a 50-win team. All right, we'll continue with the question of whether or not you would trade for Ja Morant at this point, and then dig into some free agent options and some draft pieces as well. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen today. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. The the Hyundais just keep award-winning cars coming out, and the Murdochs have 80 years of time in Utah to make sure that you get the best experience. And no regrets experience is the way that Blake likes to talk about. He wants to make sure that every single person that buys a car with Murdoch leaves with that feeling that they had a wonderful experience and they got treated well. My last service experience there was just top-notch. Just such great communication. They got the jobs done. Something didn't work the first time. They came back to take care of it a second time. It was just exactly what you desire. And that's the essence of who the Murdochs are. And the Hyundai car, you simply get more bells, more whistles for the dollar than you can get anywhere else. And you get the award winning. The Ionic 5 is the Motor Trend SUV of the year. Two years ago, it was the Sonata that was the car of the year. Now the Ionic 6 is the 2023 World Car Award winner for the World Car of the Year. It is so awesome. All of those are available for you at Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street, also in Logan and in Linden. Email me first at DLock09 so we can give you the VIP meeting over at Murdoch Hyundai. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel and Locked On have got a great deal for you. It's called the No Sweat First Bet with FanDuel. Right now, new customers get a No Sweat First Bet up to $2,500. This is how it works. $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. It's all at FanDuel, the safe and secure app. You get paid instantly. There's no better place to get all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. And right now, a no better place to get started with the visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com's no slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of locked on. Boy, last night had you on a ringer. The, uh, Line, I think, was nine and a half, and it, by the end, the, the Nuggets win by 11. That would have added some excitement to the night last night, thinking you had that one in control, and then it kind of kept bouncing back and forth and all that. Uh, crazy. Go get involved at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps. Thanks so much uh, for taking the time. For next week, we'll continue our draft prospects, get all those kind of things looked at, get ready, watch the NBA Finals with you together, uh, look at some more prospects. If you have guys you want us to look at, please let us know. I'll spend some weekend time uh, doing that. All right, let's continue. Uh, You guys are great. So this was my kind of, um, my favorite kind of question of the day. Would you trade for Jaw? I'll tell you what, I thought Adam Silver's comments the other yesterday, if I heard them correctly, were daunting. They were that we have discovered more things in our investigation and we are not announcing it until after the NBA finals because we don't want it to be a distraction. Well, it's clearly a distraction in my mind only if it's significant, right? So I do think I would talk. I do think that I would 
uh, I'd have to know what this is. But knowing what I know right now, I do think I would trade for Ja. I, I think the positives vastly outweigh the negatives. I think there's obviously some issues. I think he hasn't broken the law. Um, he's endangered some people. He's done some things that put him in danger. I think they're all coachable. I think at from everything I've heard about him at heart, I think there's a good person there. Um, there's bad decisions being made, but there's a world of talent. So yes, I think I would trade for Jaw at this point, and I don't think Memphis would trade him. Um, so that makes maybe answers the question even better than anything else. All right, uh, what do you think of Kobe Buffke, uh, Kobe not Kobe Kobe White as a free agent? This is uh, obviously by comes from a, a diehard basketball fan because I probably need to tell you who Kobe White is for a lot of you. Kobe White was the seventh pick of the 2019 draft. He played for North Carolina, 6'5", 195. He's not a shooting, he's not a point guard. He's a pure gunner. Um, and my answer is yes. So he's been in the league for four years. He's averaged 27 minutes a night. He shoots 37% from three. Um, as I mentioned, I don't think he's a natural assist guy. He's probably like a young version of Jordan Clarkson. Um at 6'5", he's got positional size. He can score. He can shoot and he can score, uh, which is what we were talking about earlier, I think, is important. He's played, like, two years ago, Chicago played him almost exclusively as point guard. Last year, they swapped him so that he played half point guard and half shooting guard. And all of his on-floor, off-floor numbers got better. Um, I thought his overall play got better. Last year, I thought he looked more comfortable. His numbers went down. Um, and maybe I actually like that a little bit. That when I, I think they showed his shots per 36 minutes went from 15 to 12. Um, and maybe just more controlled. His two-point shooting was up five percentage points. His three-point shooting stayed. He's a great free throw shooter. So yeah, I think this is an interesting player. And I like, you know, you're playing the second draft on player here. You're taking a guy who was the seventh pick of a draft. He's clearly wildly talented. Um, and in the 2019 draft, he, um, you know, and then one thing I always like to look at on drafts, if, if a player hasn't hit, has anyone behind him hit? Now, this one gets a little interesting because Jarrett Culver ahead of him didn't hit. Jackson Hayes hasn't hit. Rui Hashimura's only kind of hit. Cam Reddish hasn't hit. Cameron Johnson has. P.J. Washington, Tyler Hero, Romeo Langford, not really. Sioko Dimbayu, no. Ch- uh, Chumay, okay, no. Nikhil no. Like, there's a chance that that was a five-player draft. Zion Williamson, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland. And then that's it. I always like to see how many players after a player have hit in a draft because it tells me kind of, I, I believe in the draft analysis of, of people. And so it tells me a little bit if, if like this guy, if the five guys below him have hit and this guy hasn't, I bet he still has a chance. Um, it's worth doing with Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody for the Warriors. Like as you look back on those draft picks by the Warriors, do, are they ready to like have other players around those two players stepped forward Moody was the 14th pick, 15th with Corey Ispert, 16th with Alfred Shingoon, 17th was Trey Murphy, 18 Trey Mann, 19 Kai Jones, 20 Jalen Johnson. Uh, like, not totally, right? And the guys in front of him are Zaire Williams, James Booknight, Joshua Prima, Chris Duarte. Uh, 
Eh. On Moses Moody, that one makes me a little nervous. And frankly, on Jonathan Kaminga, there's not a lot of guys behind him. That draft might have been Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Josh Giddy, and Jalen Suggs. Like, and then Jalen Suggs is a question mark in there. Um, that might that draft might have dropped at five. So I do think that's sometimes one of the things to look at on that. But I do like the Kobe White uh, question. Draft question: Should the Jazz draft at nine or trade back for even more picks? So, the only reason the Jazz should trade back is if they have a player that they know they want that they can get and they somehow gain another asset for it. That they really want Kaysen Wallace at 9, but they actually look at the draft board and know he's going to be at 13 and they trade back. Um, It's a risky way to live because somebody can trade in between. We don't need more draft picks in this draft. We don't need more assets in this draft. We already have three first-round draft picks, which is too many. It's more likely that the Jazz would like to take 9 and 16 to get to 5. You know, Ben Anderson, I was on with Ben Anderson and Jake, and Ben kept trying to use the 28th pick. I I don't think that's as likely. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I'd love to, but I don't think you can use the 28th pick to get where you're going to want to get to um, in the draft. I think that's too difficult and I don't think the 28th pick has much value. So, now, can you trade, you know, do you, right, do you have player, if you, if you know you have, you know, Danny Ainge is most famous as he trades back to three, know he's going to get Jason Tatum, and he gets another pick, and they take Markel Fultz, and he actually had who he wanted. So, if that's the reason you trade back, is that you actually know you're going to play. It's a super risky way to live in a draft where there's player movement, where there's trades going on, though. Um... Do you think the Jazz will trade up in the draft? So that, I think, is the more likely scenario. Can you use 16 and 28 to get to 14? Can you use 9 and 16 to get to 7? The One thing is that teams like Orlando and Indiana that are ahead of you already have a ton of picks. Washington's interesting because Washington wants the same thing you want. Washington's really a problem. Can you do something with Washington where you give Washington... 28, move up to not eight just to get make sure you get the player you want and they get another pick. We have all these other future assets. Those are harder to trade, and you have to be really diligent about when you're going to use those. What are the Jazz chances the Jazz could trade 28th pick to Miami for the 18th pick and either Lowry's contract or Robinson's contract, the 28th pick, and a later lottery protected maybe 2026? So I, this, I think, is... This is really interesting, and actually, we'll have our locked-on NBA mock draft, and this is actually what I did with the 28th pick of the draft. I just did it with Brooklyn. There was a player that had slid who I almost drafted at early. I actually made a bunch of trades coming up in our mock draft. And um, so there was a, the I <laughs> in my case, Brooklyn trying to get under the luxury tax has 21 and 20. So I swapped up to 21, I think it was, and took Patty Mills' contract off of Brooklyn's books. So I do think this is a very good and possible scenario for the Jazz where you use the 28th pick and your salary cap space to pop back up to something in the mid-20s just to get a player that's sliding. The other one that gets interesting there is whether or not you can do it in a manner, uh, whether or not you can do it in a manner that allows you and you do it beforehand, and you know, and now all of a sudden you're playing with 21, 16, and 9 as you try to move up. Like, that would be what would be interesting to me. It is Locked on Jazz.
Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks very much for making today Locked On your first listen of the day. Uh, Three-day summer league packs are available at utahjazz.com right now, so make sure you jump on those. We'll look at the NBA Finals here in a second, but some more good questions coming in. This one's a big-picture NBA question. Um, has the NBA shifted away from having a one true point guard? I consider a true point guard a ball in hand and predominantly initiating the offense. Are teams just spreading the responsibility among multiple guys? Why pick Case and Wallace if the teams are moving away from a true point guard? So I'm not sure I think teams are. I thought when we had Mike Conley last year, it was really obvious the value of that. Phoenix using Chris Paul, but also Devin Booker as a ball handler, I think had a primary. Denver certainly has a, has a point guard. His name's Nikola Jokic. He just has to be seven feet tall, but the ball's running through his hands, and Jamal Murray is their secondary ball handler, and doing that at a pretty high level. Miami, you know, with, when Kyle Lowry's on the floor, probably Miami's one that's moving it around a little bit more on who who's handling and how they're handling. But Gabe Vincent's probably close. So I still think you have a primary ball handler and organizer. Um, I It's why I like Cason Wallace is because he's not addicted to the basketball. So you can play kind of a free-flowing. But I do think it's important that you still have a settling force um, there. Frank Boston turned it around two years ago when they were 20 and 21, because they actually let Marcus Smart play point guard and kind of moved away from that. So I actually think that that's um, fairly true. Uh, I think it's actually, I don't actually think that's true. I think that you, you have more versatility in your other positions, but I still think you need somebody conducting. Uh, please run some geeky numbers for me over the last decade or how often uh, does a game seven end up losing the next series? So this has actually been out on the internet. I didn't run it. I think it's uh, teams that play a game seven, only win the next series 41% of the time. Um, I, it's a huge issue. I mean, you go to seven, and I do think that, yes, you're in uh, you're in for it a little bit. And I think we're going to see that in the series. All right, let's go back to last night for a second. There were some numbers I wanted to share that I thought were crazy. So first thing, my number one takeaway watching last night is in the first quarter, Denver feels, feels to be like Denver's scoring every single trip down. And they're, they never ran the same play twice. Like, they just came out and had a different variation to every play at every moment. Eight minutes into the game, their offensive rating is a 137.5. The opening eight minutes of the game, they're, they're 137.5. They are, and they, and if you look back at their shot distribution at this point, uh, Aaron Gordon has eight shots, which you never expect. They're just pounding him down low. Jokic has not taken a shot. Michael Porter's missed two. Pope has two. Murray has four. They're 10 of 16. They haven't hit a three. They have two offensive rebounds on their six misses. They have six assists on their 10 field goals. Eight minutes into the game, their offensive rating is a 137. Now that, 138. That could be altitude preparation. That could be anything. But it was stunning. The end of the first quarter, their offensive rating is a 117. Not talked about. Their defensive rating is a 91. Jokic now comes back on the floor. If we go to the six-minute mark of the second quarter last night, and Denver's offensive rating is a 126.5. And the only time there it is is when Bruce Brown and Christian Brown were on the floor. Their offense wasn't great. But in the four minutes Jokic had sat at this point, their offensive rating was actually just as good, which was crazy. Their defense was terrible. Their defensive rating is a 102.9. But 18 minutes into the game, 
Their offensive rating is a 127 last night. These are crazy numbers. This is actually why I don't care about what happened in the third, fourth quarter last night. In, at halftime, their offensive rating is a 130. 130 is Denver's offensive rating at halftime last night. 24 minutes into the game. Their defensive rating is a 93.3. We probably should be talking about that way more. And now let's go to the eight to the four-minute mark of the third quarter, which is right about when Jokic goes out. So now you've had kind of peak Jokic at this point. Jokic has now played 27 of the available 32 minutes of the game, and their offensive rating is at a 123. Their defensive rating is still at a 96.8. Denver is unstoppable offensively, and I don't know what Miami does to try to counter that. I really don't. But I think the big, the bigger story, and that's probably the Game 7 fatigue that was just talked about, is how good that offense was. Or how good their defense was. That will not last. But the 120 offense really might last. And Miami just doesn't have the firepower on, a regular, on four times in seven games to get to a 120 offensive rating. And I think to beat Denver in the playoffs, you have to have a 120 offensive rating. Which is an astronomically high number. Uh, and tells you a little bit about where the league's going. All right, that is Locked on Jazz. Have a wonderful weekend for all of those like myself who are having graduations this weekend. Congratulations to you and your family. Have a wonderful time. We will talk to you on Monday. Enjoy the NBA Finals game on Sunday. And uh, hopefully get some good weather and enjoy yourself. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.